In this series called Motive 6 that we're working through right now, we're talking about the role of stewardship in all areas of our lives. But primarily, what we're talking about is the role of motive in that stewardship of all areas of our lives. How do we take care of the time and the money and the resources and our own bodies, as we're talking about today, so that, so that we fashion a place in our lives that is prepared for God to work in us so that our motives will be right. We talked about right giving and right praying the last couple weeks. What does a, a spiritual life, a life that's, that's led by the Holy Spirit, what does that look like when it's lived in a manner that accords with God's character and nature? That's part of the question that we're answering in this series. We've talked about why we give that first week a couple weeks ago. We give simply because we love God and we give for his glory. And it's not so anybody else knows or sees or cares. The second thing we talked about last week was prayer. And, and, and right prayer. That is that prayer for us is something that we want to be engaged in the kingdom through. It's how we connect our hearts to God's heart for what he's doing in the world and in our lives. And today we talk about something kind of crazy. Fasting. How many of you all hear lots of sermons about fasting? Lots, lots of sermons about fasting going on out there. <laughs> How many of you have been to lots of churches where fasting is a regular thing they talk about? Anybody want to claim that couple here and there? Okay. All right. Cool. Today is a little bit weird and different for us. So, so what I did this week, uh, like I do every once in a while, to get some, some sermon fodder for my preparation, I asked for some feedback. Feedback. That's good, Scott. <laughs> like that? Let me, let me say that again. Feedback on Facebook. I asked for some feedback on Facebook. If you don't know what Facebook is, it's an online social networking site um, where Scott gets his material for his sermons, apparently. So early this week, I asked this question on <laughs> feedback. That's good. I asked this question on Facebook. What do you think of when you hear the word fasting? And I asked for some good stories and anecdotes about fasting. Here's what some of the people said. One person said this. It's simply not eating and focusing on God. True. True indeed. A clean and simple definition. Another person sort of expanded that definition some and uh, said this. The purpose of fasting is to deny the flesh of a desire in order to obtain a closer connection to God. Denying the flesh of a desire in order to obtain a closer connection with God. Someone else sort of talked about the implications of fasting, said this, when a specific focus is substituted for eating, it's amazing how many times you can think about it during a single day. I didn't know I thought about food that much. You know, it sounds a little funny, but that's a good point about this spiritual discipline. You know, when you're, when you're fasting and your, your stomach growls, it's a very tangible, physical reminder to think of one's relationship with and dependence upon God. Someone said this. I think that for the most part, people get lost 
in what they are fasting from instead of what they are trying to achieve or why they are fasting. I think that's pretty good. Here are a couple examples of that kind of thing, fasting run amok. This person said, I had friends in college who used fasting as a form of weight control. They said that they thought not eating for 40 days the way that Jesus did would make them holy. Of course, <laughs> it really just made them thinner, more irritable, and gave them a basis for a holier-than-thou attitude. <laughs> that same person said this, I've also known people to fast from romantic relationships. This too seemed rather odd. They used it as an excuse not to enter into relationships, but did not use the time or take, or did not use the time or energy a relationship might take up in order to be more devoted to God. How many of you out there would consider yourselves pro, pros at fasting? Any of you consider yourself a real pro with this spiritual discipline of fasting? <laughs> Most of you are thinking, not after we just read that passage. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sound like a hypocrite and, and and raise my hand. I'm not really a pro at it myself. I try here and there. I'm pretty much a fan of gorging myself and not denying myself. Can I get a witness on that one? Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> We think of fasting as something that's sort of reserved for religious fanatics and crazy people. Some of you out there are shaking your heads. We sort of think, it as, think of it as something that's reserved for a monk, monastic kind of lifestyle. We think of it as, as something that crazy people who know nothing of proper hygiene and who end up living in the deserts by themselves do. That's what we sort of picture when we think of people who fast. I, for one, if you can't tell, prefer to live in the dessert. Hmm. Part of our problem with this concept of fasting, with this concept of intentionally depriving ourselves of something like food, is that we live in a world where we have more food than we could possibly ever eat. And we take it for granted. In a world like that, fasting sounds ridiculous. In the U.S. alone, we throw away almost half of the food that we grow and that we buy. That amounts to 30 million tons of food each year. In case you're a nerd like me and you're wondering, that's 82,200 tons of food waste per day. That's enough to fill the Rose Bowl every three days. In a world like that, someone like me to stand up and say, have you ever considered depriving yourself of food? Almost sounds ridiculous. There's a great book called Celebration of Discipline by a man named Richard Foster. It would be a great read for you on this kind of topic, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He says this, In a culture where the landscape is dotted with shrines to the golden arches and an assortment of pizza temples, fasting seems out of place, out of step 
with the times. Friends, in a world like this where we live, where you and I worship at those same kinds of shrines, it's very easy for us to simply blindly consume what we've been trained to consume. Let me make the point and ask you this, and, and ask it a different way. If you're taking notes, this would be a good question to write down, because I think, I think it gets at the heart of this matter for us as believers. What practice do we have in our lives? What practice do we have in our lives that demonstrates that you and I are truly dependent upon God? What regular practice do we have in our lives that very clearly and tangibly demonstrates to us that we are utterly, totally dependent upon God instead of ourselves? Because you don't have to have me stand up here and tell you we live in a world where we learn that we make these things ourselves. We live in a world of self-sufficiency. What regular practice do you have in your life that demonstrates total dependence upon God? Because, friends, nothing brings about clarity about who's in charge like fasting. When your stomach growls when you're fasting, as it's, it's as if your body is saying to you, Hello, wake up. Just, just try to go through life without being utterly dependent upon God who made all there is. Just, just try to live under the delusion that you earned the right to eat and breathe and move. Because of anything other than God providing it. Fasting is a wonderful wake-up call to who is truly in charge of our lives. The reason we need to fast, friends, is found in our problem that we are friends of the world. If you're taking notes, this is a good one here. We are promiscuously in love with our stuff. We are so wantonly and promiscuously in love with what we call, quote, our stuff, that we become blissfully unaware of the power of that stuff to push love of God and the pursuit of His goodness and His character, the things that make our motives pure, and, and it pushes those things to the margins of our lives, and we don't even know that it's happening. We are so thoroughly in love with those things of the world and not God's kingdom that we hardly know what a life of dependency upon God looks like. We are under the incredible delusion that we are owed what we enjoy. And that, my friend, as Jesus says, is a scary place to be. Under the delusion that we are owed 
what we are blessed to enjoy. It's so bad we can hardly imagine a life where regular dependence upon God in the form of a discipline like fasting makes sense. So when a preacher stands up and says, stop eating and start praying, it sounds like crazy talk to us. This gets at the central reason why we fast. And it's our big idea today. And it's the first couple of blanks there in the fill-ins. Fasting, fasting is right when we deny ourselves food or, or something else that ties us to the world as a way to humbly refocus our attention and our reliance upon God and not our own self-sufficiency. Fasting is right. It's, it's done in accord with God's character and nature, as Jesus is warning us about here. When we deny ourselves food or anything that ties us to the world, and we'll talk about those other things later, when we deny ourselves as a way to refocus our attention and our reliance upon God and not ourselves. Let's look at Matthew, Matthew 6 here and, and see what Jesus has to tell us about this concept of fasting. Kayla read it a little earlier for us, but I want to read it again for us as we get back into the passage here. This is Matthew 6, 16 to 18. It says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, they have received their reward. Verse 17, But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This concept of fasting that Jesus is talking about is nothing new in the Christian life. It's been going on for thousands of years with the people of God. There are at least... 40 examples in Scripture of people who regularly fasted or people who did some fasting. And while there are a few examples of fasting from things other than food, the vast majority of those examples are about abstinence from food. In Deuteronomy 9, 11, 18, when Moses threw down those two tablets of the Ten Commandments, because he was responding with horror and, and anger that the people of God were bowing down to that golden calf. When he threw those down with horror and anger, he fasted for 40 days immediately after that, pleading with God for forgiveness for those people there. Moses fasted. In Esther, the fourth chapter, as Esther was preparing to go to the king to plead on behalf of the people of God, all of the Jews in that city of Susa for three days and nights fasted and begged for courage for Esther. In Daniel, King Darius fasted for Daniel when he realized that his own edict had sentenced Daniel to the lion's den. In the time of the New Testament, the Pharisees were known to fast on Mondays and on Thursdays. For centuries, the Catholic Church has asked its members to fast on Fridays as, as a penitential practice, as, as a way of practicing repentance and sorrow for sin. So let's turn to Matthew 6 here and see what Jesus says. Now Jesus here, in this context, is speaking 
in the Sermon on the Mount, that famous passage in, verse, in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. He's going public with his ministry now, and he himself has just come off of a 40-day fast. He's fasting in the wilderness as preparation for his public ministry. And so he's here speaking to the crowd that has gathered to find out what is his kingdom going to look like. And so he says, verse 16, when you fast, when <laughs> you fast, come on, Jesus, he assumes we're going to be doing it. You mean you're assuming just like before? If you look back to the other verses that we've talked about before, he's assuming this is going to happen. It was a fundamental part of Jewish practice, like giving and like praying. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Let's leave that slide up for just a second here, if you would, please. Oh, there it is. He says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. There's a Here's a little Bible nerd moment for you. He says, he says, disfigure and seen. There's a cool word play going on here with these two words. The words disfigure and seen that he uses here are two forms of the same exact word. And Jesus uses those two words on purpose here. You could translate them, in fact, disfigure and figure instead of seen. As in, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be figured by others. And that word disfigure here literally means to make invisible, to make unrecognizable. So what Jesus is saying here is that these hypocrites, they make their faces invisible in order that they may be visible. They hide their faces in order to be seen by others. He's saying, isn't that ironic? They're looking gloomy on purpose so that you will see them. So that's why he says in the next verse, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They have received their reward as Jesus was speaking, it was in the present tense. It's okay to translate it in the past. It means the same thing. But that word there was in the present tense. He's saying they are currently receiving all the reward they're going to get. Think about that for a second. They are currently at this moment hypocrites who do this for show, receiving the reward they get. Here's what one preacher says. If the reward you aim at in fasting is the admiration of others. That is what you will get. And that will be all that you get. And then he says this. In other words, the danger of hypocrisy is that it is so successful in its aims. It aims at the praise of men, and it succeeds. But that's all. If we're honest with ourselves, in our finer moments, we have to admit that there's a whole bunch of our spiritual walk that's been aimed at pleasing men. 
The danger of hypocrisy is alive and well for our own lives. The danger of hypocrisy is always alive and well for the believer. That's why Jesus goes on to instruct us in verse 17, where he says, But when you fast, when you fast, in contrast to them, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So just like he does at the very beginning in in verse 1 of this chapter, he says, be careful. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Be careful, Jesus is saying. When you're fasting, be careful that your motive, your reason for doing so is good and right. So as we've said earlier, and what we said is our big idea here, fasting is right. When we do it in a way that refocuses our attention and our reliance upon God, and not this world and our own self-sufficiency. This, this sermon's not hard to apply in theory, but it may not always be easy to apply in practice. I think that in a world where we live so easily unaware of the ways that it pushes God to the margin in our lives, that our stuff that we call our own pushes God to the margins, in a world like that, I believe it is critically important for us to continue to recover the ancient practices of things like fasting in order for us to make sure that our hearts are right with God. That the reason we do this, the reason you're here, the reason we worship God is from a pure heart and motive. I think we need to fast. What if I can't fast for health reasons? Maybe you can do something else. Fasting doesn't have to just be from food. How about a media fast? Some of you have probably never heard of that. <laughs> some of us need a face I mean some of you need a Facebook fast. How about no TV? How about no video games? How about no cell phones? How about no computer or laptop? Instead, instead of those, those things, those, those distractions for us, spend that time in prayer, seeking God's face, seeking to align your heart's desires with His purifying your heart of improper motives. Use the time to refocus your attention and reliance upon God and not your own self-sufficiency. So, I want to challenge you to fast with me tomorrow. (sighs) I heard heard a couple of those sighs up front. (sighs) You don't have to if you don't want to. Nobody's going to ask you. Nobody's going to follow up. But I want you to join me and whoever else in this congregation tomorrow, Monday, November 8th, to fast together as a congregation.
to seek to recenter and refocus our lives on God instead of whatever. The temporary things of this world, our, our stuff, the TV, the noise that distracts. I may even abstain from coffee for a couple hours. I am not looking forward to that caffeine headache. <clears throat> can you imagine? Can you imagine the effects on the body of Christ here and on our hearts and in our families, in our relationships, in our marriages? If we recovered something as crazy as fasting, as a regular practice for us, to refocus, to recenter, to get rid of the dross and the distraction. It's the kind of thing that transforms hearts over time. It's the kind of thing that transforms congregations and cities and families and marriages. I want to close with a little story here, but that's an interesting, it's an interesting form of fasting. But it demonstrates in this story how, how, how fasting can transform our hearts and our motives. Shane Claiborne is a guy who spent a summer with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And he wrote the following about one of his experiences there in Calcutta with Mother Teresa. He says this, People often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. She was short, wrinkled, and precious, maybe even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise old granny, he says. But there is one thing I will never forget. Her feet. Her feet were deformed. And each morning in Mass, I, I would stare at them. I wondered if she had contracted leprosy, but I wasn't going to ask, of course, Hey, Mother, what's wrong with your feet? One day, one of the sisters, one of the sisters asked me, Hey, Shane, have you ever noticed her feet? I nodded, curious. She said, Her feet are deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone. And Mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair so she digs through and she finds the worst pair. And years of doing that, years of denying herself, have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself deformed her feet. This is the kind of fasting where if we recover this kind of practice in our lives, we'll create the divine longing in our hearts for God's beauty and grace and love to be poured out on a desperately needy world. If you do not long for God's beauty and grace and love to be poured out on a desperately needy world. It's time to fast.
Friends, may we become the kind of people who risk things like deformed feet or simply missing meals so that we can have hearts whose motive is God and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we are so accustomed to gorging ourselves, not just with food, but with things and stuff and distraction and noise and busyness. We admit, Lord, that at times we are promiscuously in love with those things and are practically worshiping at the feet of things that distract us and take us from you. So we ask in this quiet moment that these little spaces we've created today in worship in our hearts would be places where you fill it with your spirit and your goodness and your love and your mercy and your truth so that as we learn to deny ourselves of things that tie us to the world, you would continue to fill us and sustain us and feed us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We each week extend an invitation to you. If you are a baptized believer in Christ and you want to be a part of what's going on here as a member at First Christian Church, then we ask that you would come forward as we sing. Or if, if you would like to name publicly Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the waters of baptism, we ask that you would do the same as we stand to sing.